Well, Therese, thank you. Awesome. You just do such a great job. Well, good morning, and uh, it's good to be back. I missed last week. Uh, two weeks ago, I spoke on the concept of truth and that whole idea about uh, <laughs> that whole idea about truth was spurred on by I was reading through the Gospels and that question that uh, Pilate asked Jesus, "What is truth?" or that statement rather that. Uh, Pilate made. We're not sure if it was a question or a statement. And uh, that kind of led me to this, this study of what is truth. And as I got through it, it kind of made me realize that that same question is important for us to ask that uh, of the Bible or of our belief system. What is truth? And I finished with that Jesus is the way, Jesus is the truth, Jesus is the life. And that we need to continue to seek that, seek the written word, um, and that Jesus is the truth. And I felt fairly good about the message after uh, 45 minutes or 40 minutes of speaking. And on the way home, as I always do, I said to my wife, so what did you think? Because I like to get honest feedback from someone that is not uh, a yes woman. Um, she's just sincere, and she'll tell me what she really thinks, and so oftentimes her feedback uh, irritates me and because I think it's different than what it should have been. And then when I you know, get through my s small moment of pride, uh, I'll reflect on what she had to say and I'll typically get something that I think is constructive about the message. But it takes me a little while to get there because it's, well, you men know, it's your wife telling you what you could have done better and our first instinct is oftentimes, <coughs> well, what do you know? So I thought about it for a while, and um, uh, on the way home I said, so what do you think about the message? And her feedback was, uh, was rather challenging. And instead of telling me how she felt about the sermon, she said, are you going to follow it up with another one? And I said, well, do I need to? I got, what are you trying to get at here? And she said, well, I personally, and I wrote this down because I didn't want to misquote her, I personally would like some practical application. What does truth look like in our lives? I know Jesus is truth. I know his word is truth. And I know it is in our best intentions and our interests to follow the truth. But you never shared practical examples. I am wanting to go deeper in the word and grow, is what she told me. So what I heard was, I wasn't fed today. That's what I heard. And... I realized that how convicting that was when the person that you often prepare a message for uh, in mind and to inspire your wife and your children leave there not feeling like they were fed. There's an old saying in churches like, you know, you can't steal, uh, you can't steal sheep that are fed. And so it's, it's my job or it's Teresa's job or it's Brian's job or it's Steve's job or it's Justin's job. Uh, or anybody that does the, the homily here, uh, it's, it's the job of the person that's standing behind this pulpit to prepare the saints for the works of service, to feed, to inspire, to encourage, to educate. And when you don't feel like you're doing that in a particular situation, it challenges you. And so, uh, per her request, I'm going to follow up on an actual uh, practical application Examples, there's seven that I'm going to mention, uh, three that I'll preach on, uh, four that I'll just mention, 
Um, and that is uh, the practical application of what is truth and that his word is truth. And what does that look like in our, uh, in our, in our lives? And individually, every one of you who are sitting here um, are either going to be offended, you're going to be challenged, you're going to be inspired, you're going to be encouraged, you may be mad, you may think, well, he's talking right to me. Well, I can tell you very honestly, there is no one in particular when I put this to sermon together that I thought, I sure hope that they're here because I'm preaching only to them. There, there's not anybody in here. This is a general example of a practical application that I think every single one of us can, can learn from what the Word says. Uh, any of you that have heard me preach more than two or three years have heard me tell about the older gentleman that uh, I used to go to church with, and he stood up in front of the pulpit, or in the, behind the pulpit in front of the congregation, he says, B-I-B-L-E, that's the book for me. The acronym for B-I-B-L-E, Bible, is Basic Instructions Before Leaving Earth. And it challenged me and encouraged me to go, okay, these are basic instructions before leaving earth. The stuff in here is our instructions, didache, teaching, that we can apply to our lives before we leave this earth. And this morning I'm going to look at a few, um, some practical applications, and I'm going to start with one that I think is probably the most important to me personally besides the last one that I'm going to share, which I think is the most important to all of us. But the first one I'm going to share about the truth of the Word of God, the practical application, because when it says, what is truth? Jesus is the truth. Well, how do I apply that to my life? And the first one I'm going to talk about is marriage. If you've ever been married, if you ever plan to get married, if you will ever give advice to anyone who is asking you about marriage or give counsel, if you are a male or a female... This is some practical advice on the subject. Truth on marriage from God and the truth will set you free. Now, I look around the room and I see a lot of married couples. I see people that have been married, will be married one day, Lord willing. And oftentimes when you read the passages about marriage and husbands and wives, in today's culture, you are labeled a misogynist, bigot, um, male chauvinist, whatever. Culture tells you, like, your concept of biblical marriage is not right. It doesn't fit in with modern day. And I challenge that because modern day marriages don't seem to work very well. But the biblical marriages, and I can only say this from, from my personal perspective, is that, I forgot to write down the time. Brian, did you? You got me covered? It was probably 10.40. I'm, I'm just keeping track here for personal, for personal reasons. So, in my marriage of 19 years, going to be 20 in April, I have looked back at my life with my wife. And the times when it was most fruitful and it was most... Uh, blessed and when we were happiest and we were most at peace and we laughed together and we smiled together and we were friends is when we adhered to the biblical teaching in the scriptures. When we adhered to God's truth about marriage. Now many people will look at this and go, there's no way I could do that. And my response to them is, 
That's your decision. You don't have to do that. You're not forced to do that. I can just tell you from personal experience and the experience of a lot of godly people I know who have had wonderful, happy marriages where they weren't constantly fighting and bickering and battling with each other, followed the biblical principles we find in the book of Ephesians and 1 Peter. And I'm just going to read a few verses. You guys have your notes. I encourage you to go read them later on. You may not agree with it, but again, that's your decision. You can agree or disagree, but I'm telling you, the Bible says your word is truth. And so what is, how can I apply that to my life and enjoy the blessings that God has in store for me is follow this book. That seems elementary, but I can't tell you how many people go, ah, that doesn't fit the culture. 90% of people think this is baloney, therefore I don't believe it either. That's fine. That's your decision. But what the Bible teaches in Ephesians chapter 5, it says, Wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord, for the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, his body, and is himself its Savior. Now as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit in everything to their husbands. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her, that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word, so that he may present himself, the church, might present to the church to himself in splendor, without spot or wrinkle or any such thing, that she might be holy and without blemish. In the same way, husbands should love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself, for no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it, just as Christ does the church. Because we are members of his body. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. The mystery is profound, and I am saying that it refers to Christ and the church. However, let each one of you love his wife as himself, and let the wife see that she respects her husband. Well, there's no way I'm going to submit to him. There's no way I'm going to love her. Okay, that's your choice. But the Word of God says, wives, submit to your husbands in everything. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church. It's a two-way street. You don't have to obey it. You don't have to follow it. You don't even have to believe it. But your Word is truth, and the truth will set you free. This will offend people. This will offend females to go, I'm not submitting to that. And this will offend males that say, I'm not going to love that. That's fine. That's your decision. But biblically speaking, your word is truth. And if you look at 1 Peter chapter 3, there's this this encouragement to husbands, and it says, likewise, wives, in, in 1 Peter 3, 1, likewise, wives, be subject to your own husbands, so that even if some do not obey the word, they may be one without a word by the conduct of their wives. When they see your respectful and pure conduct, do not let your uh, adorning be external, the braiding of hair and the putting on of gold jewelry and our clothing you wear, but let your adorning be the hidden person of the heart with the imperishable beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit, which is in God's sight, is very precious. For this is how the holy women who hoped in God used to adorn themselves by submitting to their own husbands, as Sarah obeyed Abraham, calling him Lord. 
And you are her children if you do and not do not fear, if you do good and do not fear anything that is frightening. Likewise, challenge to the husbands, likewise, husbands, live with your wives in an understanding way, showing honor to the woman as the weaker vessel, since they are heirs with you of the grace of life, so that your prayers may not be hindered. Show honor to the woman. Honor her. Now, I want to tell you right now, Brenda and I are not fighting. We're not struggling with me loving her or her submitting to me. This is not like my opportunity to sit on a soapbox and say, woman, listen to the word. This is not what I'm doing. I'm looking at marriages across the the campus of the world, and I'm seeing failure after failure after failure, and I go, how do we get back to what God designed, and how do we get away from the evilness of what's happening within marriages and the constant fighting and the bickering. And the only way that I can look at it and go, this is how, is go, well, the creator of the universe said, husbands, love your wives. Love them. Sacrifice for them. Be their rock. That's what the word teaches. So how do I do that? I live according to the word. I swallow my pride. I do it God's way. And when I do it God's way, it works. It has worked. The times when my wife and I have been at the most vulnerable place in our marriage is when we're constantly fighting and bickering and prideful and getting our pound of flesh. I can't see the definition of love in 1 Corinthians 13 say, now, if she does something to you or says something disrespectful, Get your pound of flesh. That's not in there. What does it say? It's patient. It's kind. It keeps no record of wrongs. Again, biblical application, what is truth? And it works. It works. Do you have to follow it? No. No. You're not forced to. You have free will. You can choose to obey what the written word says, Or you can say, my way is better. And I promise you, it's not. I've counseled enough couples to go, it's not better. But he doesn't matter. But she doesn't matter. What does the word say? Love them. Honor them. Respect them. Submit to them. That's what the word says. Whether or not you do it, that's That's between you and God. The next subject we're going to get on, I could go on and on about that, but I won't because I want to get into a little bit more difficult subject. (laughs) One that will probably offend people more. That's my goal. This is going to be tough to hear. Your word is truth. Practical application number two. Marriage, we saw it. You have the verses. Practical application two. Your children. Your children's children. Your future children. Your nieces, your nephews, your grandkids, whatever. Children. There is a saying when people have their first child where there's no instruction manual for kids for child rearing. Well, David, yes, there is. That is false. The Word is an instruction manual for raising children. 
It's in here. Everything we need to know. We don't need to read Dr. Spock's Baby in Child Care. We don't need to read Baby Wise. We don't need to read Love and Logic. Okay? Those books all have little nuggets in them that we could probably take and apply as long as they line up with Scripture. But the rest of the stuff that's in there is uh, some of my older friends would call gobbledygook. It doesn't make any sense and it doesn't work. It doesn't provide what you're looking to provide, which is an opportunity for this little human being to become a selfless bondservant of Christ. That is the ultimate goal when you have children. The ultimate goal when you have children is to raise them up that one day they will do this. And they will bend their knee to the King of Kings. That is your ultimate responsibility. You may not agree with this. That's okay. You have free will. You have choice. You don't have to agree. This may cut you inside right now. And I don't mean to offend anybody, but I do need to say, honey, I'm going to answer your request for practical application. Because I don't want you to leave here going, I wasn't fed. Because that's my responsibility. So what does the Bible say about raising kids? Because it does have instructions. Proverbs 22 says, Train up a child in the way he should go, and when he is old, he will not turn from it. Train up a child in the way he should go, and when he is old, he will not depart it will not, or will not turn from it. That is a pretty amazing promise from God. To train up a child in the way they should go, and when he is old, they will not depart or turn from it. Well, how do we do that? That's great. Thanks for the advice, God. But how? How do we train up a child? If you go back to Ephesians, what a rich book that is. If you go back to Ephesians chapter 6, in verse 4, it says, Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. Train up a child in the way he should go, and when he was old, he will not depart from it. How do we do that, fathers? Do not exasperate, or do not um, provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. I'm not going to read the next passage in your notes, which is Deuteronomy chapter 6. I'm going to read a couple of verses, but it's a long passage. It's 25 verses. I'm not going to read all 25 because then I'll run over my time, but in Deuteronomy 6, in the first couple of verses, it says, Now this is the commandment, the statutes, and the rules that the Lord your God commanded me to teach you, that you may do them in the land to which you are going over to possess, that you may fear the Lord your God, and you and your son and your son's son, by keeping all his statutes and all his commandments, which I command you all the days of your life, that your days may be long. Hear therefore, O Israel... And be careful to do them, that it may go well with you and that you may multiply greatly as the Lord, the God of your fathers, has promised you in a land flowing with milk and honey. And then he gets into, this is called the Shema, which means to hear. And it says, hear, O Israel, the Lord your God, the Lord is one. This is called the greatest commandment in Deuteronomy chapter 6. Okay, this is the greatest commandment. The Lord your God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your might. And these words that I command you today shall be on your heart. Don't miss this. You shall teach them diligently to your children and shall talk 
of them when you sit in your house, when you walk by the way, and when you lie down, and when you rise. All the time you need to talk to your children about the Lord. How do I train them up in a way that they will not depart from when they're older? Well, teach them and admonish them in instruction in the Lord. That's how, according to your word, is true. Now, if this is something that you're not doing right now, you can start doing. That's the beauty of Christianity, is that no matter where you are, God says, oh, you're challenged, you're convicted, then start going in the direction that you want to go. That's the beauty of God's Word. God is such a gracious, loving, amazing God that when we are struggling at something in the past, which we all struggle with something, when we struggle with something in the past, we can look ahead and say, okay, God, I'm challenged, I'm convicted, I'm going to do this, I'm going to do this. And you'll start seeing the results of God's promises. This is not like a health and wealth sermon, guys. This is a practical application of, in this case, marriage, and then in another case, children, raising up your children to go, how do we do that? Bring them up in the nurture and admonition of God. When you lie down, when you walk, when you get up, when you sit down, whatever, talk about God, what God has done. And then I go, okay, if that's the greatest commandment and that's training, are training and discipline different or are they the same? Because it says, train up a child. It doesn't say discipline up a child. It says, train up a child in the way he should go. Is training and discipline, are they the same? And I'm going to tell you, no. They're different, but they're both essential. And this may be a little challenging. This may be challenging for you. If you're a grandparent, it may be challenging for you, for you as a grandparent to watch your grandkids. It may be challenging for all of us. I don't know. But all I know is, what the scripture says about discipline, it changed my life of what I thought about raising children and why and how. In the book of Proverbs, four times, I'm going to read four verses. Proverbs 13 says, He who spares the rod hates his son, but he who loves him is careful to discipline him. That's a different word than train. Discipline him. Proverbs 19 says, discipline your son for that there, in that there is hope. Do not be a willing party to his death. Proverbs 22 says, folly is bound up in the heart of a child, but the rod of discipline will drive it far from him. Proverbs 23, do not withhold discipline from a child. If you punish him with the rod, he will not die. I hope you're listening if you have children. I hope you're listening. What is the truth in this, and how will it set us free? These four promises, these four teachings by this wise man Solomon in the book of Proverbs, what is the teaching, what is the truth, and how will it set us free? Instructing and training and disciplining our children based on the word of truth does a few things. One, it removes folly. Training and disciplining and, and bringing them up in the nurture and admission of the Lord does a couple things. One, it removes folly. That word folly means silliness and foolishness. It says when you discipline them, it drives out foolishness. It drives out folly. Maybe I asked my wife yes, last night. I said, am I just grumpy? Am 
My kids have this thing. You guys, I love my children more. I would sit in front of a train for my kids in a second. I wouldn't think twice about pushing them out of the way. But sometimes they have this thing called roasted. I'm picking on you, Grant, because I love you, buddy. They all do it. Somebody says something like, roasted, roasted. I'm like, guys, you need to be more clever. If you're going to roast somebody, roast them good. Like, don't say it every other word. Be smart about when you do it, because then when you go roasted, everybody laughs. If you say it all the time, you go, oh, quit saying that. Sometimes it seems like it's foolishness and silly, and that's why I asked my wife, am I grumpy, or am I raising and trying to raise up God-fearing human beings? Am I trying to raise up God-fearing adults? Is that what I'm trying to do? And the answer is yes. I'm not trying to raise up foolish children. I'm trying to raise up men and women of God. That is what we're trying to accomplish in the church. And so it removes folly when there's training and discipline. Proverbs 29.15 says that an undisciplined child disgraces his mother or brings his mother to shame. Think about that. An undisciplined child disgraces his mother or brings his mother to shame. I have seen it. I remember before we had kids, I, and it, we had just gotten married, and we were at this, this friend's house, we were at this church setting, and there was this kid that just said, no, 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 and he's just completely disrespectful, would not obey mom or dad, and the kid ran off, and I looked at the mother's eyes, and I saw shame. I saw shame. It's real. This promise is real. We can acknowledge it and accept it, or we can say, ah, I don't want to believe it. It's your decision. But the word of truth, that's what it says. It disgraces the mother. And then we're going to get into some real, real stuff that ought to scare you a little bit. Think about this result. In Proverbs 13, 24, it says, He who spares the rod hates his son, but he who loves him is careful to discipline him. He who loves his son, his daughter, is careful to discipline him. Discipline makes for a good child. Discipline and training make for a child that other people want to be around. The older folks in the room are shaking their head, nodding their heads, honey, nodding their heads. I always say shake, it's nodding their heads. They're agreeing with what I'm saying. A well-disciplined, trained child that is not full of foolishness is a joy to be around. And so when that child comes up to someone and they are disciplined, and they are trained, that older person or that other parent in the room will put their arm around that kid. And How you doing, buddy? How you doing, missy? And what do you think that makes that child feel inside? Love. That child feels loved at that point. Now let's go to the opposite. An unruly, undisciplined, irritating, foolish child that has not been trained or disciplined to be a good, God-fearing, obedient child, when they come up to you, and they're, ah, 
and yell at stuff. What does the person do? Subconsciously, they do this. What does that do in here to that child? I am unlovable. I'm unlovable. There's something about me that is causing other people to go, I don't want to be around this person. And they can feel it. You think I'm wrong, you don't like what I'm saying, too bad. I'm that strong about it. Because the next passage says, do not withhold discipline from a child. If you punish him with the rod, he will not die. This is a matter of life and death. Whether or not you agree with it, it's your decision. You don't have to agree with what the writer of this book said. And don't kill the messenger. The Bible says he will not die. Do you think it's talking about a physical death or a spiritual death? If a child is not trained, if a child is not disciplined, that child will not have as good of a chance to bend their knee to the King of Kings and say, yes, Lord. That's a fact. When a child is brought up in the nurture and admonition of the Lord, and they're obedient, and they're loved, and they're trained, and when they get off the wayward path a little bit, they get put back into the right spot. When God disciplines you, it says in Hebrews, he who is undisciplined is a bastard in the King James. It's an illegitimate child. That's what the Word says. This is a serious thing that America and the churches across America, across this county, need to hear and study because we are way too lenient on parents allowing their children to die. We're way too lenient on it. And it's not right. We're getting to a place in time where we're seeing this disobedience. I'm going to leave the other half of the sermon for next week. Because I'm starting to get to, it's going to go long if, it, if I keep going. We're getting to a place where we're seeing more and more kids falling away from truth. And they're not disciplined. And they're not trained. And they're not obedient. And they're not instructed. And we wonder why there's so many problems. What is truth? Your word is truth. And like I said, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to end I'm going to follow up next week with the rest of the sermon. But I'm going to end with this passage in Deuteronomy. If you are sitting here right now going, I am never setting foot in this church again. Because that guy is just too... That's your decision. I'm not going to change what this says, guys. I, I can't do it. One, I don't get paid enough to do it. <laughs> neither does Steve. Neither does Trees. Neither does Brian. Neither does Justin. We don't get paid to do this. But we love the Word. We love the result of the Word. I don't have perfect kids. You guys know my kids. You know that. But I promise you... My wife and I talk about this and we look at this and we go, we've got to do this God's way. We have to do it God's way because if we do it God's way, 
we've got the best shot at being successful. And if you're sitting here going, man, I've really kind of messed up, or I, I, I haven't known this, I didn't know it was such a serious issue, or uh, uh, I, I, I need to be better, but I'm not, and, and you're not to the point where I'm never coming back here, but instead you're going, I want to learn more, I want you to think about this passage in Deuteronomy. This beautiful passage in Deuteronomy says, and when all these things come upon you, the blessing and the curse which I have set before you, and you call them to mind among all the nations where the Lord your God has driven you, and return to the Lord your God, you and your children, and obey His voice and all that I command you today with all your heart and with all your soul. Then the Lord your God will restore your fortunes and have mercy on you. And He will gather you again from all the peoples where the Lord your God has scattered you. The promise here in Deuteronomy 28 and 29 is there's all these blessings for obedience. And then there's all these curses for disobedience. And what the writer here is saying, what Moses is saying is when all these things have taken place, when the blessings and the curses have happened because of your obedience or disobedience, and it says, when you return, God's going to give you the fortunes that He promised you. He's going to have the mercy on you that He promised you. And He's going to gather you together like He promised. And then He says, if your outcasts are in the uttermost parts of heaven, from there the Lord your God will gather you, and from there He will take you. What he's saying is, it doesn't matter how far you are away from God right now. It doesn't matter how bad you are at parenting, how bad you are at marriage. It doesn't matter. If you turn and go to Him, the Bible promises here that He will restore you. He will gather you together and He will bring you back. That's what the Word promises. Your word is truth. Your word is truth. I'm reading a book right now called Do Not Comply, and it's firing me up politically about big pharma and big government and culture and modern, postmodern moves. Humanism. And it's getting me to the point where I'm going even more so than I have been my entire 15 or 12 years of preaching is that there's so much just nonsense being spewed from the pulpit that people are sucking up and biting into and ingesting it and it's not giving fruit to their lives. And it's disgusting, and God is going to have His day with those people. And the only thing that I can do to keep from being one of those preachers is to go off of this book. And if I misspeak, I have given Steve, I have given Brian, I have given Justin, I've given Jared, I've given Peg, I've given my mom, I've given everybody in this room permission to say, ah, can we talk about something? You kind of distorted that a little bit, I think. Rick I, Rick, I love it that you're here every Sunday. He's like, well, I agreed with 99% of it. I'm like, great, can I hear the 1%? As iron sharpens iron, so one man sharpens another. This is truth. 
You don't have to believe it. You don't have to follow it. But when you do follow it, when you love truth, when you obey truth, it releases us from the pain, it releases us from suffering, it releases us from shame, from anger, from chaos, from disappointment, from discontentment. It releases us from those things, and instead it gives us hope and joy and peace and contentment and and a pride in what we're doing. That's what truth does. I'll take the latter rather than the former. I went longer than I had planned on going. So I'm not going to preach the second half of my sermon. But next week, oh boy, I'm going to. All right, will you, uh, will you pray with me and then we'll uh, have communion together. Father God in heaven, we humbly, humbly come before you and we ask for the courage to stand firm on truth as a church body, as a mother, as a father, as a man, as a woman, as a child, to stand firm on truth no matter what somebody else says. We have the courage to stand up. We have the humility to accept discipline, to accept instruction and training. Father, we ask for correction. We ask for discipline. We ask for training from you from your spirit, from each other, from the word of God, so that we can become perfect and whole and we can represent you as we're supposed to. And we can glorify you, Father. We praise in the name of Jesus. Amen.